On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going very well. Thank you, Andrew. Awesome. Today, we welcome to the Music Buzz Podcast, legendary saxophonist, Mark Rivera. Mark has been a part of Billy Joel's band longer than anybody else and also performed for many years as part of Ringo Starr's All-Star Band and can be heard on such timeless classics other than Billy songs as Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer and Big Time, Foreigner's Urgent, and obviously so many hits uh, with Billy Joel since he joined the band in 1982. Mark was also on stage with John Lennon at his final public performance. He's an excellent vocalist, can play guitar, bass, flute, percussion, and keyboards as well. Please welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, Mark Rivera. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be on with everybody. Mark, we're glad to have you, man. So we've already chatted, yourself and I, a few times, and at length, the first time we talked about the legendary Moby Grape Band. Moby Grape. We're we're Grape Pets. We're we're Grape Pets. (laughs) Grape Pets together. So, uh, man, it's good to have you on here. I want to start by yakking a little bit about your uh, Common Bond record that you did in 2014. I gave Mm -hmm. a deep listen to that yesterday. All of our Music Buzz listeners out there should check out this record. It's really, really great. Man, I had no idea you could sound like Felix Cavalier's uh, younger brother <laughs> when you sang. It's fab- your voice is fabulous. It's a, it's, a da- it's really a damn good record. Uh, Thank you, I- I'm going to go through it track by track here. So Lorraine, great swampy acoustic guitar-based track. And then, you know, sound like you got Stills and Nash in singing harmonies with you. It's that's really fat. Well, that's fabulous, <laughs> man. So you are Crosby, Stills and Nash on your own backgrounds. Man, that's beautiful. 
And then the second tune, Sticky Situation, totally different. A stonesy rocker. has a killer track. <laughs> Thank you. Start over. It kind of reminds me of a uh, later period Rascals kind of a feel. Hmm. Again, reminding me of, you know, Felix on there. And uh, love the spill the wine-ish percussion and flute and stuff. <laughs> very cool stuff, man. Great track. Now, Spanish Castle Magic, here we are four tunes into that record, and this is the first one that's got sax on it, right? It starts right, with right. kind of condensa, and it's a great track, staying pretty close to the original until Billy comes in and plays the organ, right? On yeah, that? yeah, yeah. He kicks some ass on that, and then you do a nice sax solo, smoking on that, and then the jam at the end's great. You guys just kind of, I don't know if you planned that or what, but. Oh, it's just, it just came together. It, it, yeah. A lot of the greatest stuff in my opinion, just happens because you allow it. It's organic. Yeah. And there were, uh, there were five guys in the room when we did that. Uh, the rhythm sections, probably my favorite group of guys in New York. It's Jeff Kazee, Charlie Drayton on drums. I wondered if it was Charlie. I knew he was on yeah, the record. Char yeah. Charlie's on a lot of that record. And yeah. um, uh, Steve and John Conti. Steve and John Conti are on that as well. Okay. And that's, and then Billy played, he opened up the keyboard. But it, like, I appreciate that. It, it, it is kind of an organic track. And I'm a massive Hendrix fan. I had, a, I have a band that uh, we, we do some gigs. I call it Sax is Bold as Love. We do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> we, there you go. We do Gotta love we do that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite records of all time, the original Axis. That course, is but. absolutely my favorite. I mean, that's hands down my favorite Hendrix record. Yeah. Uh, his, the writing is fantastic. Uh, I mean, a lot of people forget what a great lyricist he is. Yep. His lyrics, exactly. I mean, uh, Spanish Castle Magic. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the one that really comes to mind is... Um, if Six Was Nine, for me. Six Was Nine. Six Was Nine, like the most philosophical, you know, Fall Mountains Just Don't Fall On Me. Yeah, And, uh, and then... Uh, and, uh, let Castle my free Spanish flag Stand. fly. Right, yeah. let my free... Point on, Mr. Businessman, you can't dress like me. <laughs> <laughs> I love but, uh, it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, thank you. I, I thank you for that. Man. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. And then Money, Money, Money. I have my English drummer friend on that one. Yeah. Ringo, Ringo's on that one. Oh, Ringo is on oh, that okay. one. Uh, <laughs> I knew who he meant. <laughs> yeah, it's actually on that one. It's Ringo and uh, Will Lee play bass on that. Very nice. Yeah, I've met Will quite a few times. He's a great guy. What a player, too. Geesh. But that's a that's a great tune. Now, the next tune on the record, the, the Tell Me All the Things You Do, I was listening to that, and I was going, man, I, I've heard this before. You it sure have. It, yeah, well, and then I figured <laughs> it out, because then I, I Googled it, and I said, yeah, because I've got that Kiln House record. Mm -hmm, that's one of my Fleet, favorite. Old Fleetwood Mac record from about yeah. 1970 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, it's, tell Me, and my other favorite song, my other one of my favorite tunes on that is like if, if Station Man on that record. Station Man, yeah, yeah. Station Man. <laughs> Talk about swamp. It's a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt that one grabbed me. And I got to play harmonica on that one. That's right. <laughs> I didn't know that that was you. So, man, we'll, we'll talk about your multi-instrumental skills. Because, <laughs> dude, taking a deep dive into your past, it's pretty amazing. Turn Me Loose. It sounds like an Rascals outtake, man. Like I got a nice kind of 66 garage -y kind of feel. I love it. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and When You Dance So Good, that's the only song on the record that you really kind of show off the low end of your voice. And it's great, <laughs> man. And you, oh, when you guys... You. And you guys did the Rolling Stones. My favorite thing is, you know, how they'd come in like on Brown Sugar. All of a sudden on the last verse, there come the maracas. Yeah. When, yeah, you, when you did that, the second verse hits and I went, okay, I bet you they were going, let's do the Stones here. You know, you look, it's all, it, look, it's all, we're, we're all uh, creatures of our, every, every 
every aspect of our music, everybody I've ever played with and every band or every record I ever listened to has affected what I do. Uh, you said the Rascals. I'm a huge fan of the Rascals. Felix is one of my favorite singers. Maracas on, on a Brown Sugar. I bet your mama was a Jets Hall Queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got the Maracas on. It's all, it's, uh, it's like, is it Jimmy Miller when he did all those great records with, uh, yeah. with, with Traffic and the Stones? And I mean, there was, there were stories about, uh, uh, at the end of Dear Mr. Fantasy where he was in the, in the, in the, uh, studio in the control room. He ran into the, into the actual room where they're recording and starts shaking tambourines and, and <laughs> telling people he got the double time thing going. That's where it came from. Wow. I didn't at the know end that. Of, at the end of Dear Mr. Fantasy. Oh, yeah. That's all him, Jimmy Mills. All the percussion, all, all that that bell on uh, "I'm a Man." Yeah, it's all that's all his thing. Well, and he did "Honky Talk Women." That's him playing cowbell on that. Probably same cowbell. Yeah, mm. probably was. <laughs> <laughs> so I read somewhere about, and I know it was maybe just a, a tongue in cheek, but about the saxophone that fell off the back of a truck. Your first sax. Oh tell yeah. Me, well, tell well, us about getting started with that whole thing. Well, my, my uncle Vinny was the, uh, the, my godfather, my uncle Vinny was the, uh, what was the superintendent, uh, at the Red Hook projects, which is a really funky area in Brooklyn, which is now trendy. You can't even get in there. But back in the day, it was a very heavy, uh, black and Hispanic and, uh, projects, their projects. And right. the thing, the longshoremen would come by, uh, every once in a while and they, they, off the back of a truck, they'd sell stuff like, you know, 10 cents on the dollar. Ah. So the uh, the joke was, yeah, I fell off the back of the truck. My old man was able to afford fifty dollars for a saxophone because he sure as hell couldn't pay three hundred dollars for it. So gotcha. Yeah, your first sax was hot. Heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't even think of that. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> and it continues to be today. It's, yeah. It sure is. I'm going to quote you on that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I encourage our listeners to uh, to check out the Comma Bond record. It's really good, man. You notice the last song. Uh, it was written by um, Karen Karen Mano. She wrote that entire song. I wanted the rise? last song to kind of yeah rise. Oh, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. yeah, I love. In fact, I wanted the last song to be kind of like a spiritual, like you know, this is what this is all about. Come back together. And she said, I have an idea for a song. Why don't you, I'll play this song and I'll sing it through, and you tell me if you want to change some stuff. She played it. I almost cried. I said, you know what? It's perfect just as it is. So the, the demo we did in in her bedroom. Not like that, but we we were in the bedroom. We had a Logic recording going on. And the two of us, she played, I sang. And then uh, Jimmy Braylauer, my, my producer, co-writer, he said, buddy, why don't you ask Steve Luca to play some guitar on it? And he did. And it just, it just, the whole thing just went up. That bedroom recording became the master or that was just the template well, for the, the... The bedroom recording was her piano is, the, is what you hear. That's it. Oh, nice. Piano, yeah. and, and a lot of the, a lot of the vocals, I, I went back and redid some vocals. I'm going to redo that song because it, it deserves a real second look with some strings and things that we just never really got to do. That could be beautiful. Yeah. But Luke, Luke is a, uh, is a crazy talent. So I mentioned earlier you joined Billy Joel's band in 1982, but 10 years prior to that, 1972, you toured with Sam and Dave. And I wonder oh, how, yeah. how did that come about for you? Uh, <laughs> a dear friend of mine, Marty Castori, guitar player, he'd already done one tour. I think it might have been late. It might have been like 73. My, my time frame was always a little bit, but it's my own fault that I probably wrote the wrong thing. I'm, I'm notorious for that. But uh, Marty had already done one tour. And... Uh, uh, 
they just wanted to replace the sax player. And my friend Marty and I were the only two white guys in the band. And Marty said, hey, would you, would you like to play with Sam and David? It's hell. I had already played all those songs. Hold on, I'm coming, soul man. Uh, I thank you. And I got to sing all those. Uh, Would not love me like you did, but you did. All, all that stuff was really, <laughs> it, re it resonated with me. So sure. the opportunity to play with Sam and Dave was like, hell yeah. Right. So oh, yeah. did you ever hear the story about some of that? What, how, how I got the gig? No, yeah. let's hear that. Uh, let's hear. Uh, I, I was in a, a rehearsal and, uh, you know, I, I brought my outlook because the outlook was the only sack that I had at that time. I didn't even play tenor yet. And, um, I would go to the, go to rehearsal and everything's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm playing all the parts. Da, 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 da. I got him down again. And uh, I'm sorry, my things being. Uh, uh, and then the uh, band leader, uh, I'm sorry for the beeps in there. The band leader, um, Ben Little, stout black dude, looks over at me. Hey, you're good. He goes, you blow Barry? I said, sure, man. I blow Barry. Yeah, no problem. I never touched the Barry sacks in my life. <laughs> so that night I went and borrowed a hundred bucks from my old man, rented the saxophone from Ponty's, shedded the parts, played it. I mean, it weighed about half as much as I did as a skinny kid and I'm playing Barry. So I go back the next day with my Barry and uh, then I had to learn. Ben said, oh yeah, you got the part. You're good. You got the gig. Goes, now you got to learn the steps. I got to learn the steps. Because yeah, you got you to gotta go sideways and then down. And when you go down, the trumpet player is coming across your head so you better be going down <laughs> <laughs> there's no so, room for error there is that. no room for error two days later we opened up for ray charles at central park no pressure there <laughs> no, <you're right. laughs> wow That's yeah awesome. yeah how long did you how long were you out with those guys about eight nine months and it got it got a little bit thick uh the bass player didn't like me because i played i enjoyed playing his bass once in a while and uh you know, at the time we were drinking and carrying on and uh, something must have happened with a girl or something. But uh, one car ride as we're going by, he said, I'm going to cut a white man's heart out. And I'm like, and he had a knife out. I'm like, this is not good. I didn't feel very comfortable. <laughs> so, uh, no, yeah, I think so the, it's time to bail. God, yeah. Well, as it turns out, they fired the bass player and left him at a, a truck stop. And they must, I, it was the craziest thing I, I'd ever been through, but it was a, a scary drive, man. It's really scary sure. drive. Wow. Close call. Yeah. What inspired you to start on an alto sax? It was the one, my, the, the one that fell off the truck. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was the, Price the was hot, right. It was that hot horn we talked about. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was the alto. It wasn't that you were listening to other people who, you know, inspired no. you. Yeah. Okay. I, I was honestly, uh, if I was eight or nine, I was listening to, uh, it was pre four tops. I mean, my favorite, my favorite music when I was about 11. And the first time I really heard a saxophone that really jumped out of me was, uh, one of the four top songs, uh, sugar pie, honey bun, uh, uh same old song. It's like that thick Barry sax. And yeah. that, that, and, uh, the voice that I really loved was, um, was Levon Stubbs, Levi Stubbs rather. And yeah, I didn't look, I, I don't, I'm not a, a bop player. I never listened to Charlie Parker to be, I mean, I listened to him, but I never tried to emulate that sound. Uh, I just, it, it wasn't my thing. Uh, people say, who are your favorite saxophone players? I was like, I like Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Beck. Yeah. Those are the right. guys. That's, that's the music <laughs> I emulate. That's, that's right. really what I hear. And my, when I hear licks, I hear that stuff. Yeah. 
the vibrato, like the Hendrix's stuff, to me, to this day, is the greatest phrasing and, and rhythmic stuff. Amen. Take us back to, you know, 2021 marks 40 years since Foreigner released uh, their biggest record, Four, mm-hmm. um, Mutt Lang produced. And yeah. you are on what uh, I would argue is maybe the most well-known sax part of a rock song, but then there's another song that we'll talk about that you also play on so you obviously you i don't we could argue which one's bigger urgent or slow well you know it's true it's not me the, the sax solo junior you know that so, yeah, yeah 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 but you're yeah, playing but that, on the that, song yeah yeah that bit you know that uh, actually uh that that happened like in in an instant uh mutt and i had met in 75 i think it was uh we i was in a band called tycoon mm-hmm. and uh clive davis we wanted to have um we wanted Jack Douglas to produce a record because he produced the demos. And Clive said, no, if you want Jack, you have to go with uh, go with Atlantic. So he gave us <laughs> another $50,000. He said, well, uh, you, I want you to use this new producer, Mutt Lang. We all said, what the what the hell is a Mutt Lang? <laughs> and no one, knew, no one knew who he was. Turns out he and I became very close and he called me for Farter. And then when I got called to do the gig, I was playing a gig in tr- at tracks in the city. So I got home from my six, to my sixth floor walk up at about one o'clock in the morning. Mutt says, I'm wondering if Marcus, if you can come down to, to Electric Lady. I said, yeah, man, I'll be bailing me tomorrow. He goes, no, I mean right now. I said, oh, I'm kind of shagged. And he said, well, I'm cutting Foreigner's new record. I'm like, boom, down, hit it. <laughs> and I got there. And that bit, that's the first thing I played. Wow. Wow. I swear to God, the first thing I played. And Mick and Lou were inside playing football and doing other stuff while Mutt, they thought, was just getting sounds. Uh, about four hours later, after every different uh, gyration of the same song, try this, double track that, try that. And Mutt could bring this in. He presses the playback button. And they're like, that's great. It sounds like spells, like, a, like a Morse code. It's fabulous. And Mutt said that was the first thing he played when he walked in. Wow. Yeah, man. Awesome. So, that, you know, that don't 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 fight your your instincts. Yeah. That's what it comes right. down to. Anytime somebody tells me, same as Sledgehammer, first thing I played, swear to God. That line, that was you? Absolutely. I was going to ask you if that was sort of dictated or partially written with Peter. There was not a note written. The track that we heard was just Manu, just Manu Cachet, um, Tony Levin, uh, forget who the guitar player was, and some some weird synthy sounds. Larry Fast, I think, was the original uh, synth yeah, player on that. And yeah, yeah. And basically, there was nothing. There's myself, Wayne Jackson, may he rest in peace, and trombone player. I can't remember his name, but I'm listening to the track. For my ear goes, I don't have perfect pitch, but it's an E flat. Yeah. Do you know? You want to know what sledgehammer what sledgehammer is? It's superstition. It resonated, the sound, song resonated, and the first thing I played, and Peter just doubled that, doubled that, and we just ended up having like, a, we, we would uh, play like, I think I did two tenors and uh, two barries mm. on the track. It's a great part. But it's pretty cool. I got, thank uh. you. It's pretty good. <laughs> Hell yeah, it's cool. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you record that song at? At the power station. At the power station. Yeah. And Daniel Lenoir was the... uh, In fact, the craziest thing, I talked about the the club tracks where I'd walked up the stairs and Mutt called me. Uh, The same club tracks, which was on 72nd Street in Manhattan, 
I played with the, 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 the late, great Yogi Porton. I don't know if you know, if you know Yogi, Yogi, the drummer. Yes, I know of him. Yogi was tremendous. Bet Sussman played keyboards. and Jimmy Rip, the guitar player. It was this band we backed everybody with. And one night there was a singer, songwriter, this young lady. And uh, she was she brought a new level to the word mediocre. So she wasn't that good. So anyway, her old man was, uh, he's like, you know, hey, I hustle and do some stuff. Turns out I gave him my card. or I gave him my number. I didn't have cards back then. And uh, fast forward like four years later, he calls me up. Says, hey, Mark, I wonder if you came down to the studio. Um, and I'm saying, oh, crap, I hope it's not your old lady. <laughs> it turns <laughs> out, he goes, come down to the power station. I'm doing Peter Gabriel's new record. Like, whoa. But that came out of me just doing a gig in a club. And that's, wow. you know, anytime people tell me about like how does stuff happen, it happens because you're present. It happens because I, that gig that might've been like 12 people in the room, five of us being in the band, you know what I'm saying? There's nobody in the room, but right. you play, you put it out there because aside from you never know, the most important thing is that's what you do. People ask Billy, well, are you ever going to retire? And he said, what the hell else would I do? Hmm. Yeah. What else? What, right. I, what, what do I do? You know what I mean? Right. Sure. So that call came from Danny then, is that right? No, that call came from Jimmy Phelan, the okay. producer's rep. I and see. he represented Danielle. I see. Okay. And I didn't know Danielle Lenoir at the time. I mean, he was happening, but I didn't have any connection to him. Well, it's a, it's not quite six degrees of separation, but I used to record in his uh, Grant Avenue studio in Hamilton, Ontario, when he and Bobby owned the studio. And this guy was tiptoeing around the hallway with his 24 track, who, who ended up being Brian Eno. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have that kind of history, but then I've since watched him, you know, head off to YouTube territory and Peter's project. Well, yeah. Well, it's amazing. I mean, it's just a thread of how things and the connectivity. I mean, uh, it's, we're all, we're all the, the, the really good ones. And I'm not saying myself as a great player. I'm just saying the people with the real spirit are mm -hmm. cut from a certain cloth. Yep. Yeah, I know you. Sp I know you spoke with. Uh, if I if I remember right, Andy, you uh, you spoken to Nils Lofgren, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we spoke to yeah. Nils, and we also spoke to Jerry Marotta, who played on. Well, those are all well. the same guys. Jerry's Jerry's one of my heroes. I mean, he's, uh, mm -hmm. these are all the same. They'll tell you the same thing. Jerry will probably tell you how many times he played at tracks or JPs in the city, and we all came up through that whole that whole scene. But uh, it's the spirit. It's the f the fabric that I think we're all cut from. And yeah. uh, you, can, you can't fake that. Now, I have a question for you on the on the Peter side. So I know you played on Big Time as well. But mm -hmm. the, were you also on Mercy Street? There's something on Mercy Street or In Your Eyes. I can't remember which one it was. Okay. It's, okay. <clears throat> the reason I can't remember is because of some weird background. or It's like a backwards saxophone they put on there. Hmm. But yes, there's three tracks. Yeah, you know, in fact, what's really funny is that you get, you know, get some, some residual checks. And so that's Big Time was in a, a car commercial at one point. And I got, mm. <clears throat> excuse, I got paid to play. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you gotta love <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. I can you know, do that. Sure, cha -ching. I can do that. The crazy stuff just happens, and you know, I, I'm, I'm beginning. I've been more and more of a believer in. I don't know if we want to call God's plan or the universal plan. Just stay the hell out of the way. Mm. Yeah, and let stuff yeah. unfold because so much stuff gets. We get so much wrapped up in how we think it's going to happen. Right. And we don't have a clue. Well, I'll tell you what's most amazing. And one of the most amazing things is, man, your versatility on instruments. So I, I was reading something about it, you were being interviewed about being in, in, you know, the band leader for Ringo and mm -hmm. all the different things that like you were 
Okay, you played acoustic guitar and sang background on. I'm your captain. Yeah, I'm your, I'm I'm your, your captain. captain. Yeah. And even which was, that's must have been a, a tingly moment. I mean, my oh, yeah. lord, what a classic! But to me, dude, you figured out Matthew Fisher's organ part on "Whiter Shade of Pale" and woodshedded that and went up and played it. That, you know the story about that, right? I read about it, so, but I want to hear it from you. Well, Gar Gary Brooker, he's one of my heroes. He's I love Gary. I love Gary's voice. I love his whole being. He's got a, <clears throat> a nautical name for everyone. Uh, this one's the, the first mate. He called me the stoker. Stoker means the guy who shovels the coal into the fire to yeah, keep, the, keep yeah. the engine going, okay? Yeah. So, I'll stoker. I'll stoker. A good one, he goes. And then we got ready, because uh, I was the MD, uh, and I was saying, oh, we're going to do this song. We're going to do that song. And I said, oh, today, uh, we're going to do Whitey Shade of Pale. And I'm thinking, I know the piano part. I'm sit down and block the chords, because it's pretty easy to block the chords. And he looks over and goes, oh, no, stoker. On this one, you play the Hammond organ. And I'm like, uh, actually, we're going to do conquista. We're going to do conquistador today, and we're going to get back <laughs> to you tomorrow. Turns out, I, I brought uh, a Korg back in a Korg keyboard, and spent like four hours and shedded it, hours. And the, uh, I used to have the whole set, and it would go great. And I'd spend the whole set thinking, "Oh crap, I got to go and play white shade play of pale." It's like it's like remember oh, the little rascal, little rascals, learn that poem, mm -hmm. learn that poem. <laughs> it's like I got to go in there. But every night I was able to pull it together. And every night Gary would say, how about Mark Rivera on the organ? I'm like, Whew. I mean, they got, <laughs> got through, through that one again. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. again. We were on a 90 degree angle. He's sitting here singing. I'm hearing his voice oh, in his wedges. And I'm here on my V3. It was a, one of the oh, greatest man. moments. Oh, it was, man, uh, no that, that was a trip. That was a trip. But That's one of the greatest songs of all time. One of the greatest oh, yeah. vocal. Oh, I man. love it. I think it's one of McCartney's favorite songs, too. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt yeah. it. Yeah, that yeah. organ line, too, is, you know, wow. Yeah. I went to school during my teens in England, and there was a chapel in the school, and the music teacher gave me the keys to the pipe organ. So every lunchtime around that oh, wow. time, I went. It, it wasn't a Hammond. It was, like, bigger than a Hammond. It was crazy. For me to play Whiter Shade of Pale on that organ was, was sick. Did you guys ever do Salty Dog when Gary was out? He did it as a solo because oh, – um, did he? At the time, everybody, uh, well, the three guys, um, Peter Frampton, Jack Bruce, and and uh, and Gary Brooke would each get a, a, a solo tune every other night. Uh, Gary Brooke did a couple of times. Um, he did uh, Salty Dog. Well, and then one night, his friend um, happened to be in town, so he did Power Failure. Oh, I love that one. That's a great one. Running out of broken window. And he, at the end of the tour, at the end of the tour, he printed out the lyric and it's all about chaos of touring um you know falling out of broken windows or climbing out of broken windows, blah, 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 shattered glass uh power failure and at the bottom of it she said dear mark this is what touring used to be like before i met you love gary brooker and i'm like uh, wow, wow. That's, that's a pr pretty pretty special sentiment right uh uh, that's he was fabulous one of, my, one of my favorite people and that band that band that's not a shabby band jack bruce on bass frampton come on my now. favorite band of my favorite band i mean uh i feel free oh, white yeah. room it was just insane what was jack like as a guy jack he's bruce. tough he was tough yeah he was uh, i loved him he was hard on himself <clears throat> he had he had his we, look we all have demons and stuff but he he was he was tough he was tough, but uh, he and I got on beautifully because I, uh, um, 
I was raised, my old man used to say, you can be confident, but you can't be arrogant. If I know something's got to be a certain way, I'm going to tell you. Because my job uh, as the MD, I got to tell you something. I've, I've corrected Ringo. I've corrected Paul McCartney. Yeah. Because that's my job. And if I don't do my job, but it's how you approach people. You yeah. could always you could say, hey, by the way, if, as long as you, you said, this is how it goes. Not like, you know, you don't, you can't posture and all this crap, but. Uh, yeah. So Paul McCartney, I, I read about that. Was that when was where you guys doing birthday, but it was a surprise yeah. for Ringo. Ringo's 17th birthday. Yeah. Tell us that story. We had a rehearsal at like two in the afternoon because Ringo would show up around four thirty five o'clock for the proper sound check on the night of his birthday. So two o'clock, we had the um, Radio City blocked for, it was myself, Paul, Joe Walt, uh, Rick Derringer, Edgar Winter, and um, Greg Bizanet. That was the band. So we get, we meet up uh, and we're going to run over uh, birthday. He goes, oh yeah, I haven't played that one for a while. So yeah, so we, the first time we run through it, you know, the bass line goes, so the bass line plays straight through. So the first time we finished it, everyone's like, yeah, that was great. That was great. Everybody's like patting each other. Yeah, we got it. We, I said, Paul, that was, that was great. But the bass line, you don't stop in between. He goes, because he was going, he was stopping like everybody else. Like the guitar. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Got it. I got it. So they said, let's run it again. So we ran it the second time. And the second time we ran through it, it gets to that part. Yes, we're going to a party, party. Yes, we're going. So he came in two measures early. Uh -oh. I said, Paul, that was great. I said, but you came in two measures early on the bridge, on the release. He goes, and he goes I'll tell you what, mate. We'll do it one more time. I'll play bass. And this time you sing it and I'll sort it out. So we're doing birthday. I'm singing birthday and Paul McCartney's my bass player. <laughs> wow. So it's like, <laughs> but the crazy thing is everybody's looking around like, oh man, Paul's going to fire this guy. But quite frankly, Paul was the guy. I mean, if you see, I'm sure everyone has seen the Beatles thing about four times already. Yeah. Uh, yep. So Paul was the guy who wanted it right. Yes. So yeah. he respected me saying, no, it's not how it goes. In fact, Jimmy Braylauer, my co-producer, my, well, my producer, my co-writer, he always says, people think they know how it goes, but somebody's got to say, that's not how it goes. Right. It's like, if yeah. you listen, you and I listen to Moby Grape record. I'm yep. going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, they're like, no, indifference, at the end of indifference, we're like, Duh! and Bob, Bob Mosley's playing all this. It's like, that's how it goes. You got to play it like that. Come on now. Amen. Amen. But the fact that I was able to do that, again, it wasn't ego. It was just like, hey, they want me to get it right. So I'm going to say, but he was so, he was so incredibly respectful of, of this little pitch just telling him it's wrong. <laughs> and like I said, Edgar looked over like, oh, and, and, and Joe's kind of like, just looking the other way, like pretending I'm not there, you know? <laughs> so, but hey. What a great moment, they, man. He didn't yeah. fire me. <laughs> And I bet it was Ringo surprised over the moon. In fact, I'll tell you what, because um, a lot of drummers try to get jump on stage and they played different people have played with, with Ringo in, in the past. And I took all the drumsticks at the very end of the set. I took all the drumsticks off Ringo's kit and Jeff Jonas, Ringo's drum tech. I, I know said, Jeff. Okay. Jeff's my fave. He's, I said, Hey, when we do birthday, the only freaking person that's allowed to sit on that kit is Ringo. 
Nice. He, he decides yeah. to join us. And he was like running like it's like a, a, a five-year-old for his birthday. <laughs> he got behind there. And to see the two of them is just spectacular. Wow. Think about it. They're the, oh, the only two living Beatles playing together. How, how often? It's happened again since then. Right. But yeah. that was the first time it had happened in wow. a decade, I think. It, it was a moment. It was just oh. a moment. And I, and I told Chomis, I said, you don't give these freaking sticks to anybody but Richie. <laughs> and, and sure enough, it worked. It, it was, it where was, was just that so at? great. And Radio City Musical. Radio, Radio City, City, yeah. yeah. Okay. Was it just for that party or was the hall full of... Uh, oh, no, it was, yeah. a, it, was a, it was a show. It was a Ringo's oh, show. Okay. It was, uh, I see, okay. So. He just didn't know Paul was going to show up. Correct. But that's yeah. why we had, to do the rehear- we had to do the sound check two hours before because he was coming for the rehearsal, the sound check itself at five. It was nuts. And another crazy thing is we're doing a run through at two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon, and they do these tours uh, of the of Radio City. And uh, while we're while we're oh, rehearsing, wow. there's a peep group of people, and they're looking up like, and like people are looking at each other like, yeah, this can't be. This can't be. And then at the end of it, I think I can't remember it verbatim, but Paul said something to the effect. Well, thank you very much for a very small but enthusiastic group of people. <laughs> and it was like it was it was priceless. These people uh, are walking through through Radio City Music Hall and hearing Paul McCarty warm <laughs> up and singing birthday. Who wow. gets that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about the right place at the right time. Yeah. Boy, no. Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> now, while we're on the topic of the Beatles, I want to hear the story about the the last John Lennon show and how that all yeah, came Yeah, wow. Well, I, was, I was in a band called Bump years ago, uh, and they were originally called Dog Soldier because that was a line from John's record. And the guys had already sung on Walls and Bridges, a couple of guys, John Cobert and uh, Joey Danbro, the guitar player at the time. And anyway, um, they were doing this a song, uh, a show, a tribute to Sir Lou Gray. We, we'd met with John a couple of times, We've done some uh, TV overdub or, or uh, um, we mimed a bunch of stuff. But um, it was, <laughs> the crazy thing was uh, Yoko wanted us to wear these skull caps and have a, 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 a they made a, an impression of our face that we were on the back. And it was to say, her, she wanted to uh, point out the duality or the, uh, the, the the duplicity in in the uh, United States. So we had two faces, but um, it was just bizarre. It was a big uh, Sir Lou Gray is a great is a um, like a big. Uh, I guess he's um, a, pop, a, a, a big production, like an Ed Sullivan kind of like big star of stars, and uh, all these people. Julie Andrews with it, Tom Jones, Peter Sellers. It was this whole long night, but it was just bizarre because huh. I keep saying bizarre because it was like out of body. Um, we just, we were just lip syncing. We did slipping and sliding and imagine. But the, the fact that the last time John Lennon sang imagine I was on stage, that's mm. the part that still freaks me out. Sure. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Who else was on stage with you? Do you remember? Uh, this, the band called Bump is a uh, uh, John Colbert, um, Angelo Curie, Vinny Apice, Carmen Apice's brother, oh, played drums in the band. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. and uh, five. There were three horns, and by that time we were on to the second or third guitar player. The band just kept morphing and things like that. But uh, it's just some crazy stuff. Some crazy, crazy stuff. How the, and how things happen, you know, it, 
fast forward in, uh, let me see, that was 75, right? I think 74, 75. Fast forward 1985, I'm playing with Yoko and uh, myself, Jimmy ripped this guy, um, Phil Ashley, a keyboard player, one of the great talented group of guys. And we're rehearsing in the Dakota. Oh, wow. Now wow. I'm at the Dakota and I go look out, there's a, a little window, a little frame. And as I walk closer, I notice and I see a pair of glasses in, uh, in the frame. John's bloodstained glasses. Oh no! Jeez. Were there? Wow. She and it was like overlooking strawberry fields. Hmm. So I'm like, it was like wow. a moment that you said that's one of the strangest things that ever happened. Because um, you know, I got I got the gig with Yoko for my friend Jimmy Rip and this guy Phil Ashley, but no one ever expected it. We were up there, Jimmy Rip's playing John's choral sitar, hmm. you know, oh, wow. and uh, it was just it was just crazy. But to see those glasses on that on that windowsill just freaked me out. Not bad. Understandably no, so. I'm sure you've seen that there's been pictures of that, you know, there's a white piano mm. and there's yeah. the, oh, there yeah. the glasses. I was there and it just blew oh. my mind. Yeah. Wow. But we have to get something less, less morbid. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. That's okay. It's just a, wow. I'm, I'm just letting that soak in for a second. Wow. What yeah. Moment, man. So we've touched on um, a lot of things that have happened in your career, but, Obviously, the big pillar is is, is Billy Joel. So since no, 1982, no doubt. no doubt. My question to you would be: Why do you think you know? I read that you're the you know longest the guy that's been in Billy's band the longest. Why do you think that is? Why does it work so well? Well, it's my fabulous personality, obviously. <laughs> well, no question. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what it is? You gotta you gotta come prepared, and you can't. You only play for two hours, and there's 22 hours off stage. If you're on a bus or wherever you are, you have to get along. And there's a yeah, certain energy. Yeah. Uh, there's that part of it. But I think if I'm allowed to say so, I think Billy and I have a very close, uh, we have the same, we're, we're huge Beatles fans. We love R&B. We're huge traffic fans. Mm. All this, all this connectivity. He'll start playing a song. Like he'll start playing a Hendrix tune. Whatever, whatever. I just want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I want you to holler up from the skies. Yeah, yeah, and up, and then I say, I just want to know about your different life, that your fancy clothes. I heard some. You got your fancy uh, families. I'm, I'm saying I know all the words. So mm. we, in fact, yeah. we did a thing um, for um, VH1, and I think it was VH1, and Billy starts playing uh, White Room. In a white room with black curtains. So I'm so, so he looks over. Here. Black root country, no gold face. It's like Mark knows the words. So I guess part of it is my background that I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a, a few years younger than him. Uh, I've been through every incarnation of this band and I'm yeah. proud as a peacock to still be part of it. It's uh, look, there are great sax. The, the, they're better saxophone players. They're better. Th I do a lot of different. I can tell you every band that I've been in, I've sang or sung every different voice. From the highest voice of uh, uh, of uh, longest time to the lowest part of the longest time, any part that had to be sung, I could remember all these different things. I guess the, the short answer is, I, I just uh, I'm a chameleon. He called he used to yeah. call me the Fred Stanley, who was a, a, a Yankee uh, ball player, played every position. Hmm. <laughs> I think except nice. pitch. I think he caught one game, but so I mean, what you need me to do, I'll do. And what you don't need me to do, I won't. I won't bitch about. 
Because that's the other thing. People get trippy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that used to be my part. Well, I used to be the golden boy. And then all of a sudden, Crystal came in. And she's got the the uh, the light shines on her. Yeah. And now this guy, Mike Del Judas, who's a tremendous talent. Killer voice. Uh, I mean, the guy is insane. Uh, so now he's a feature. But the key is to, to be hey, a team player. A, yeah. Correct. Uh, I look at myself like, look, Billy's a quarterback, okay? Billy's an older quarterback. He needs another second in the pocket. I'm going to throw a block. So if I give him that one more second and he can find somebody downfield, or if I'm, if I'm, I don't need to be a three-point shooter. I need, I need to feed the ball. Whatever it is, I'm part of a team, and I've been a different part of, a diff- of every different team. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's my, I won't say lack of ego, because we all have egos, but it's my lack of taking, taking crap personally. Somebody yeah, else can do that part, sure. you know. Some, now Chris was going to sing that part. That's cool. Great. Oh, Chris was going to put the triangle of innocent man. I I played that on the right. Oh, she's got no problem. Uh, Mike Del Judas is now going to sing the part. No problem. The beauty is, he's great. She's great, and I'm really good for letting them do it. And I think Billy. I think I think the 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 uh, the, uh, the crazy thing, as I'm answering my the question. I hope I'm not too long with it. It's oh. Billy's ability to see the right person hmm. and he knows that i'm not going to trip out and i'm not going to cause a problem hey i got fired for a minute nobody knows that when when he fired liberty he thought i didn't i i was out of the band for a while but how hmm. i approached it i got by god's grace i'm back in it's a matter of short answer do the right freaking thing hmm. yeah yeah. And it'll come back tenfold. And I think Billy's always, uh, well, the first time I uh, auditioned for Billy, uh, we played three songs. And at the end of uh, the solo, Just The Way You Are, he stopped the band. I'm like, oh, crap, did I screw it up? He walks up to me, gives me a kiss. He goes, as long as you want to be, as long as you want to be in my band, you got a part. And that was it. Nice. And he's kept his word, and I guess I kept mine. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, 40, it's coming up 40 years. I'm expecting a gold watch. <laughs> right? No kidding. Yeah. Let's talk artwork for a minute with you. Um, you know, Hughes designed so many album covers over the years, and we like to get into artwork. So I'll, I'll pass it over to Hugh real quick. Well, there's so many layers to the way we can approach this topic. Obviously, the, the, the first one would be to say, how much did album covers speak to you when you were a kid, when you were first buying albums? Uh, there's a picture of me as about a 10 and a half year old kid with trying to have a Beatle haircut holding a Spanish guitar with the Beatle album cover. That <laughs> Beatle album cover was the first thing that spoke like nothing else. Meet the Beatles. Meet the, the Beatles. Re- yeah. And you turn it over and I'll tell you what really resonated with me, the boots. I wanted yeah. those freaking boots. My old man wouldn't let me buy those boots. But <laughs> you see the posturing. You see if I remember right, George George is standing there, he's he's on his heel a little bit. And they just had this swagger. And then I'd read about them. And then I would go on to when I started to read the Rolling, the, uh, Rolling Stones records. And then the Hendrix stuff just blew my mind. So album covers, uh, album covers and liner notes are, are what, what I think is missing in, with a lot of young people. They just think you download this and I'll buy that and I don't buy that or I just steal this or whatever it is. The, yeah. artwork, the artwork was so important. So yeah. important. Uh, think about things really gears, or think about uh, oh, yeah. uh, Axis Axis Boulder's Love, one yeah, of my right. favorite album covers of all mm-hmm. time. Uh, Rubber Soul, 
beautiful yeah mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's yeah. it just it takes you right back and i could see artwork and just it just it, it immediately it immediately brings me and i and i it holds me back and i want to i want to go back to that place you know what we used to do we said <laughs> when it was a double album it's great you get this get the seeds get that out of <laughs> yeah. the way you know <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> <laughs> so look the, the artwork is to me the artwork and the and the liner notes yeah. are, are, are such a great part mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. it really gives you insight. First of all, the picture is like, and every Beatle. Well, I'll go with the Beatles because that's the first one. Like, oh, they're cool. Then the yeah. second one is like they they, they grow in the hair a little long. And then the third one, like the, the rubber sole. It's like you see the you see the, the progression of this band. And right. I don't know about you, but I identified with every one of them. By time Sergeant Pepper came out. Yeah. yeah, we were we were tripping. We were like psychedelic. It was like, oh, that. Uh, I mean, nineteen sixty seven to me is the greatest, most fertile year in rock and roll. Hmm. Interesting. You know, yeah, we, yeah. Class, classic well, stuff. Can I, give, can I give you? I'll give you five. Five. Please records. do. Yeah. Yeah. Are you experienced? And Axis Bold as Love. Yep. Moby Grape. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and what day did Moby? What day did Moby Grape's album come out? Do you know? I think it's the same day that Sergeant As Pepper Sergeant did. Pepper, fucking, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so think about think about that. So this is, yeah. and those those bands crushed me. How about Israeli Gears? Fresh Cream and Israeli Gears came out. Uh, yeah. The Rascals yep. uh, collection. Whiter Shade of Pale. The Doors. Janis Joplin. Mm. It, it was just this, and at the same time, you had uh, Richie Havens and DJs at the time were allowed to play whatever they dug. Yeah. And right. all this is going on, you while this while this is going on, I'm checking out different covers. Like, whoa, whoa. And it's just like it, it, I remember going through uh, my friend Jeff Ader had all these albums in the um in the old milk cartons. Like, the old uh, crates, uh, like yeah. a, the milk crates, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you look whoa, 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 look at that, look at that. And, and you'd start just tripping out. Yeah. And they they immediately brought you someplace. Artwork yep. was it was it went hand in hand like a look at the look at the light shows. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was all the right. stimulation that was coming at you. It w- and th- there were times I might have been stoned. That's a very good possibility. But I'm listening to a record and I'm just glued to this album cover or the artwork. And then I mean, how about how about a Revolver, which is my yeah. favorite Beatles album? Oh, yeah. Yep, mine yeah. too. Klaus Vormann's drawing. Yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. But it just it just takes you there. The flip side of a first reaction. I have a theory, obviously, and we all obviously adhere to this. Music is memory, and the visual impact of artwork with that music is also part of our memory. So your first reaction is is obviously the shelf appeal, the fact that you're responding to the progression of the Beatles, that we can still very fondly, almost romantically, recall those covers because they're so brilliant and they're so uh, such a part of our f- the fabric of our life too. You right. know, it takes us takes us right back. Oh man, it, it, look, these are things we want. They were our idols. They were that that th- we aspired to do that. I'll tell you what, uh, and we're all we're talking about Moby Grape. When that record came out, and Don's got his finger on the washboard. Oh board, yeah, man, classic. Like, how freaking cool is he? You know, <laughs> he can, he, look, I got away with it. And, and, and I mean, that record was a, a well, a you know, landmark. A, a landmark. And the other problem with that, Clive decided. You heard, you know, the story. I'm sure, Dan. Yeah, but let's you tell well, it. Well, what, what, from what I understand is it came out the same day as Sergeant Pepper and Clive had this brilliant idea. So he thought, I'm going to release five songs. 
Right? Uh, five songs. Five singles all at once. You, you talk about getting in your own way. Omaha should yeah. have been, hey, Grandma, Omaha. So get, get one song out, get the next yes. song out. Then once you have established, then you then you release 805. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's what I would have done. Hey, yeah. Omaha or hey, Grandma, whichever one you want to do first, and then flip them around. So let's say yep. Omaha, hey, Grandma, 805. Yep. Then, then you... Then you have a career, but they were shot in the foot from day one. Yeah. Such a. The DJs didn't know what to do. Well, yeah, I got five records here. I'm just not going to play any of them. Mm. They were confused. You know? They were they confused. Were confused. They, one of my favorite records of all time, Don, uh, 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 rather, uh, Bob Mosley's voice. Oh, man. Kills me. Kills me yeah, to this the day. White Otis Redding. Yeah. And his bass playing. Oh, yeah. Just you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that. What? Tell me why does my love come and go? I don't know. Oh yeah, bitter wind off the Wow record. Oh yeah. man, well a man without love is no man at all. It's so inside of me, I can't help it. I'm sorry, I went, I went left. <laughs> no, this is great. Hopefully, that record that that you've heard, Mark, and that that you did the album cover for. Hopefully, that's going to come out the first of the year. I hope so. It's great stuff, and we need to hear that. We need to hear that. And uh, again, people need to stay out of their own way. But to your point about letting it happen and staying out of your own way, yeah, you have to. You can't plan it. You got to let it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you, what 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 comes to you for inspiration? Like, what? How do you allow that to manifest? It usually comes from a good title. Uh, I think words are you know are rich. Whether it's a, a succinct title or a lyric that I, I have to kind of wade through and harvest the imagery from that, uh -huh. word, words are a good place to start. I don't always have the luxury of going into the studio and hearing the tracks and responding to music. And sometimes, as a selfish art director, I don't kind of care. You know, when, when, <laughs> Rush, when Rush comes to me with a title like Moving Pictures, I don't need the music. I knew exactly what to do with that. Interesting, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good a good title is a great springboard um, for. And again, I, I work pretty isolated, and and I think that served well the process because it allowed me to deviate from that expected norm. You know, just because mm -hmm. you know I don't want to adhere to, to trends. I want to hopefully you know be free enough to keep keep the unexpected and the uh, improbable. Well, you want to create, you want to create. That's yeah. The, the yeah. key is, I mean, basically uh, trending is one thing, but the, you know, at a certain point in time, I want, I want different ice cream. I want, <laughs> I want something new. Right. Without being indulgent. That's the danger. You know, I heard the title again, Rush was a, was a very fertile band for great titles. Just Neil, you know, bless mm -hmm. his soul. Amen. Um, was an amazing, amazing lyricist, an amazing wordsmith. And he came to me with the title Signals, which was kind of intimidating because it was just so broad a topic. And we went to Marconi, Tesla, all these different places. But when I suddenly fell across the idea of a Dalmatian sniffing the base of a red fire hydrant, <laughs> the band and management, band got a little bit unsettled by it. And <laughs> management stormed out of my studio, really upset no kidding. about it. <laughs> but it became one of their favorite, their, their most famous covers. So you have yeah. to trust your instinct sometimes too. Yeah. Instincts are everything. We really appreciate your time today, Mark. It's been a pleasure. And, and I got to tell you, uh, well, this is the end of the podcast. So, you know, I want everyone to know that 
I have a lot of stories, and some of these that I just told, some of them are true. Okay, good. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we'll try to we'll try to decipher whether it's true. Right. I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. All right, Mark. See ya. Peace, man. <laughs> Peace and love, gentlemen. Take care. Bye. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.